2: In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust, and I will not be afraid. Hear my prayer, O Lord,
1: and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day. For the
2: Lord is the great God, and the great King above all. Rise whom.
0: up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the
1: proud. Lord, how long will the wicked,
0: how long will the wicked chime? Righteousness and justice are the foundation of His I hate the
2: work of those who follow him. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. I will defy tyrants. I will defy tyrants. I will defy tyrants.
3: And with that, good morning America. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, people, all the boat rockers who are in the house and anybody else I may have missed, to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio where we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S.-occupied state of South Carolina. Actually, I'm not coming live. We're pre-recording this uh, due to the scheduling we have with our guests. Uh, but nevertheless, I'm live at this moment. And uh, <clears throat> for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns you about I hold to the book, The Bible, as the authoritative Word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us here this morning. If you would like to check us out online, please do so. com and also com. In fact, if you are listening by way of Red State Talk Radio and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show... You can head over to sonslibertymedia.com, and we will be live in this section down here, the second video down. You can see Bradley's live right now, Uh, his show on Tuesday. This is what we're talking about today. But if you click on that, that's right, you can see the face that's made for radio. And I got my Chia Pet beard going on, so we're going we're gonna to have some fun with that, too. But you can also click on the platform there and join us in the chat. We've got a lot of friends who join us in the chat uh, early in the mornings, and uh, we appreciate you guys and your support and everything. We're also on BeforeIt'sNews.com, right there on the top of the page, DLive.TV at The Sons of Liberty. We're on Roku, on Cutting Edge TV, and a number of other outlets pick us up and Put us out there, and we're grateful for those guys as well. Now, if you want to see Bradley, he'll be in this section live on the day that we're playing this, which will more than likely be Thursday of this week. Also, if you would subscribe to our email newsletter, we don't rent you, we, we don't rent your email, we don't spam you, we don't sell it to anybody. Uh, you get one email from us a day that includes all the articles we have, including the morning show archive. So. Everything we're going to talk about here, all the videos, all the articles, um, any kind of uh, demonstration that we've got here, all of that gets put in sort of an article format so that you can go back and you can look at it yourself, and then you can share that information with other people. And then finally... If you agree with our message and you want to support us, we don't ask you for money, but it does cost money to do everything that we do from Internet to radio to going to the 50 states and presenting our Christian and constitutional heritage. All that costs a lot of money. If you want to help us, then we have that need. There's a donate button. Please make a donation and help us out, or you can become a son or daughter of Liberty and partner with us monthly. You can also go to our store and pick up items there they're great conversation starters as well as equipping tools and uh, this week, we have the Sons of Liberty dog tags, and I thought I had pulled that up i 'm not going to show them to you uh, today, but the Sons of, of Liberty dog tags got some hanging here with my dad 's dog tags as well. but uh, you see they got first John three eighteen on the back, Sons of Liberty on the front they 're made out of high quality metal they 're way better than the things they give in the military. And uh, great conversation starters as well. They come in black and silver. They're eight bucks a piece, but through Saturday, this Saturday at midnight, you can use the promo code LOVE, L O V E, and you'll get 15% off in the store. So be sure to check that out and uh, take advantage of the deal that's there. Now, with that said, I've got some special guests this, mor- uh, this morning, and I'm really excited to have them on because. To me, not only the husband and wife, but they seem like they're a good team for this subject that we're going to talk about. And so let me give them a proper introduction, and then I will uh, bring them on. And we're going to be talking about this Miami building collapse that took place a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Professor David Clements teaches law at New Mexico State University. He was a longtime prosecutor that oversaw six law enforcement agencies and tried many high-profile cases, including first-degree murder. He came to national prominence after appearing on Tucker Carlson after standing up to his university's targeting of conservatives. He's also a contributor to uh, Steve Bannon's War Room on election integrity issues. His wife, Erin, is a registered professional engineer with 17 years of experience in structural and civil engineering, holding degrees in both disciplines. She has experience in inspection of existing structures and in recommending and designing repair and replacement projects, as well as design of new structures. And it's my privilege to welcome the Clements to the Sons of Liberty. Hey, guys. Hey. Great, Hi. Great to Thanks have for you guys.
0: Us.
3: Yeah, great to have you guys on. And uh, here's the thing I, I looked and I actually did a little article here from you guys' site. Now, David runs the um, Professor's Record, this is his site here. He runs the professor's record, and I did this based off of you guys' talk, where you guys were talking about uh, some of these things, and it intrigued me that you're a prosecutor. You're talking with your wife who's a structural engineer, and so you have this back and forth, and I found it very enlightening. And the reason I came to that was because the interview you had here with uh, the White Hat Hacker, which I haven't even got to see the second one yet, but when I saw this, I said, I would like to have these guys on for a full hour to kind of go a little further than what you guys did in that. And so, David, let me ask you first, from your, from your vantage point, as a former prosecutor, when you saw what went on in Miami, when you saw the video that was there uh, of the building collapsing, what were your first thoughts when you saw it? Did you think, oh, this is some kind of sinkhole, this is this, that, and the other? Or did you think something isn't right here?
0: Well, I, I have the luxury of being married to to someone who has expertise in the discipline of structures. Um, where I'm comfortable is putting on expert witnesses. So I've done you know, over 120 jury trials. I'm very, very comfortable with looking at expert literature and listening to experts talk. Um and you know, the idea of what a controlled demolition looks like is something that our country has had to wrestle with in the past, most notably building seven after the Twin Tower collapse. Um so as a as a layperson, I familiarized myself with the NIST report. I've talked with engineers and picked their brains just because it didn't make sense. Um There was also a University of Alaska study that was very critical of the NIST report. And so I've never forgotten uh, that information. And, um, you know, just it's it's just not difficult to have a a conversation with my wife at the dinner table. And so instead of me speculating or being an armchair expert, I just preferred during that interview with Joshua Merritt, who's the white hat, uh, to edit in. A twelve-minute discussion between myself and and my wife, and that's that's where I got started.
3: Okay, Aaron, but you you're the expert in this. What was what was your thoughts when you saw what had went on? And I had a um, let me bring this up. I had a the the video saved uh, here in an article, and this is what we saw. We saw it coming down and I, I looked at it and I didn't catch the first part. Then you see all these flashes down here and for me that was sort of a telltale. You start seeing all that and then they they fall down. They don't like they don't do what I would expect a building to do, and I'm not even an expert in this, but they, they don't do that. What was your thoughts when you saw what went on here? That's uh,
2: my thoughts were that's clearly not a natural failure when you're a structural engineer um the thing that's hammered into your head more than anything is that uh if a building is going to fail it will fail extremely slowly there's always plenty of time to get everybody out in fact you'll you'll start to see signs of failure years and years before a structure would actually collapse so in my mind there was no way at all that that was a natural failure or or any any cause, it wasn't caused by the engineering or any kind of dilapidation of the building, especially after I got into uh, reading articles about it afterwards. Um, One of the things they're saying in the media is that there was a report that was written in 2017 uh, talking about some structural issues with the building, and they take a sentence out of that report and they kind of uh, blow it up as though that was could have possibly been the cause of the of the failure so um so i went and i looked at that report and it um it's only nine pages long so a building the size of that building just to give you the scale of this thing it's 345 units you could think of that as the size of 345 apartments um put together so if you have a a report on the structural integrity of a building that, that that's that big and it's only nine pages long that tells you really the opposite of what the media is telling you that tells you that it's actually in really good shape if they could only find nine pages worth of stuff to talk about. And um, so uh, the other thing that stood out to me is in that report, um, the size of the repairs they were recommending was only $9 million. So I asked myself, what is the total cost of this building and, and in relation to the repair costs that they're talking about? And that's one of the ways that as an engineer you can tell how severe something is. So if if it's only $9 million worth of repairs, um, I went and I found a recent listing for one of those condos in the building that uh, collapsed and it recently sold for $750,000. So if one of those condos is $750,000, you could estimate the total building value is probably in the neighborhood of $350 million. So if you're talking, $9 $9 million out of $350 million, that's less than 3% of the total building. And, you know, none of us would think twice about putting 3% of like our house value back into our house. A new roof, for example, probably costs more than that. So so that report, you know, it was really the opposite of how the media was spinning it. It actually exonerates the, um, the state of that building and the repair, um, you know, the state of repair that it was in.
3: Now, what was when you when you got this report and you're saying it's, there's nine million dollars worth of repairs? What were some of the repairs that you you came across that the building needed?
2: Well, I can pull up my screen and show it to you if you okay. like.
3: Yeah, please. Let me get rid of the uh, titling here.
2: Okay, so I, um, oh, did it wrong.
0: What did I do, Daddy? Is it? Can you see the screen now?
3: Yeah, we can see it.
0: Okay, you good? This is what's showing.
2: Okay. So this is the last two pages. I'd say this is probably the worst thing that they had to worry about. Um, it actually started out talking about the sliding glass doors and that, that uh, residents were complaining that their that water would intrude into their apartments when it rained. And so that was really the number one issue in the report. And then kind of towards the end, as a footnote, the last thing they mentioned was uh, this is one of the columns. It looks like it's in the parking garage Um and it looks like maybe a car hit the hit the corner and knocked off some concrete. So that's that's the worst, really, I'd say. And then here's, um, this is the top side of the garage deck, it says. And so you can see some cracking in the concrete. But engineers know that all concrete cracks, and especially something that's exposed to weather and wetness in, a, in an environment like that Surfside building. This is by no means out of um you know out of the what you might expect in a building like this especially one that has traffic in it and is exposed to weather and so uh they're kind of using this picture to say uh well the the pool deck was in bad shape and it collapsed um
0: you'll have to back out okay. if you need to show another image just let me know
2: okay
0: you want to see a different image yes all right Bear so what
3: is, us. that's okay. Take your time. So what is the, what, what's the pool deck compared to the, the image you just showed us? Was that the parking garage or something like that?
2: I. It's hard to say, cause I haven't seen the plans for this building, but okay. Um, okay. let, let me go with this. Will it go down a little bit? The, I think what it is is I think it has like a sub, Uh, the parking deck perhaps is, is he seeing this?
3: Yeah. Yes. You can okay. see whatever whatever parking, you're seeing on the screen is what we're seeing here, too.
2: I believe you see where my mouse is. I think that it has like a sub level of parking.
3: I see. OK. Like
2: Here, maybe under here. I'm not really sure because I haven't seen the plans for the deck. But uh, what the media is saying is that this this pool deck level and I, since they call it a deck level, I believe it has parking underneath it, that it collapsed. And somehow that collapse of this over here caused the failure of this whole structure. And, and that's just an utterly ridiculous argument because this, this slab here, this deck, even if it had some cracking and some intrusion from water being as close as it is to the ocean, that's no surprise. But it, it's not even part of the load path so for the rest of the building. So each one of these floor, sub, uh, floor levels, there'll be a series of beams underneath each one of them. And the series of beams carry the load to columns which go down into the ground, which are supported by piles. And I would guess there's probably a few hundred of those piles that they might be 15 or 20 feet deep, even underneath this parking garage. So if this failed, it would have absolutely nothing to do with this building.
3: Okay. All right. Now I, again, I'm kind of baffled at how this ends up being, um, Nine million dollars worth of stuff. You got some leaky seals around some windows. You got a couple of things, and and I'm not uh, ignorant of construction. I worked for 18 years in construction. I was a roughing guy doing, a, you know, wiring and coming back and doing the the the, the finishing of putting in fire systems and closed circuit TV and all this kind of stuff. So I I have a little yeah. understanding, but I don't have any. I don't have a lot of experience in the steel structures and uh, with the cement. And I was fascinated. At how you laid that out, that they they build it that way, not only for strength and support, but also so they can see when there is problems that come about. Could could you explain to our audience how that is with these steel and concrete structures? How they begin to show so that people know, hey, we need to get in here and do something about that. And usually, I think you said it. Get, they have plenty of time to do it, but it's a thing of where they can notice that. Can you explain that to the to the audience?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I actually have a picture ready to show you. Okay. Okay, so a reinforced concrete structure, it is a kind of a steel skeleton that that you surround with concrete. And the concrete does several things. Depending on where the concrete is, the concrete is part of the load bearing, um, but it also protects the steel, especially in wet environments like you've got in Florida. So this is a picture of a bridge I just found on the internet and it looks like a pretty wet environment. But if a um, if the concrete cracks, water can get into that steel, and the steel rusts. And when steel rusts, it actually expands a little bit, and that expanding will tend to crack the concrete, and it'll spall off in big chunks. So you'll see this is kind of a time lapse photos from two thousand looks like six all the way to two thousand nine of the same bridge. Okay, so this is a span of three years. This bridge is still standing. The 2004 picture on the left, it looks gross. Like you, you know, if you're 2006. driving, is that what I said? No,
0: 2006.
2: 2006. So, it, um, this might make you pause to drive under this or over this, but you can see that it it has plenty of time. Here we are, three three years later, and it's still there. The concrete is uh, the as the as the steel continues to rust, it continues to pop off more of the concrete. So you can see the 2009 picture is missing more. Of that surrounding concrete than the 2006 picture but this is kind of example of how i'm saying that as concrete as the steel is resting which which actually does cause it to lose um lose some load load carrying capacity that you still have lots and lots of time and and you'll notice that that picture was far worse than the than that little corner knocked off in that parking garage oh it. absolutely yeah yeah
0: yeah so here we go this is This is the worst example they could provide, and then just contrast that with these images of a heavily weathered piece of concrete over a three-year period, and people are still driving over it. Um, Aaron also has some images of uh, structures with bridges to see how you might expect a steel structure to collapse. And um, so we'll uh, show you another image if that helps.
3: Yeah, that'd be great. Let me ask you that because you're showing a bridge as compared to a um, to a building, and one of the things I think you guys, I think it was down your, yeah, it was down your way. There was a bridge that was up, basically no time, and it just fell down. Do you guys remember that?
2: Uh- the bridge I had in mind to, to talk about was the I-35W bridge in Minneapolis. I don't know if you're familiar with that one.
3: I'm not sure. I was thinking the one just a few years ago, it collapsed, and there were several cars under it. it I mean, the whole bridge just went down. And I can't. I was thinking it was down there in Florida, uh, but I, I don't remember the name.
2: No. Yeah, I'm not sure. But I, I have some firsthand knowledge of of the I-35W bridge. Okay.
0: Yeah, I'll just do that and then okay. share
2: So we happened to actually be living in Minneapolis-St. Paul when this bridge collapsed. And uh, one thing about bridges is they're far simpler structures than buildings. So the building, like in Surfside, it has um, just a massive amount of redundancy. So if you lost a column, you have several other, probably hundreds of columns that could, uh, structures tend to um, spread the load out. If you lose a member, it will go to other members. We call that redistributing load. And so um, buildings are, are so redundant that, that you can be sure if you lose a column, the rest of the building is, is not gonna just fall down. So bridges on the other hand are, are quite a bit simpler. They have redundancy, but not quite as much. So this was a terrible failure of a bridge um, going over the Mississippi River in Minneapolis. And it, it happened uh, while this bridge was under construction and it was a catastrophic failure. Now, one of the things I wanna point out about this picture is this is a catastrophic failure, but look at how intact the pieces of this bridge are. So you can see it, it, it fell down, but it stayed essentially in big chunks of pieces. And um, when you compare this to the surf site images, it's just, it's already disintegrated into tiny pieces of rubble and dust. And even as it was falling down, you could see the, the clouds of dust, the clouds of dust, you know, in that video that you showed earlier.
3: Now is so, this this image is from the uh the 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 Miami building, right?
2: Yes, yes. Okay. So just compare the bridge to this one. And then the other thing about that bridge um is when we lived there uh, it was on a, a on a bike path that I actually rode my bike on a couple times a week and I would stop because I was interested as a structural engineer to see um the rescue operation and then what they did with the pieces afterwards. And I noticed that they took months and months and they they reconstructed that bridge. They kind of took the bent up pieces and they laid them out on the bank. And they had a, an engineer who actually was a professor of mine when I was in school and he was a bridge expert and he went down and, and they examined it very carefully and they found uh, the exact connection that had failed and they figured out why it failed and why it was catastrophic because structural engineers above all never want to see catastrophic failures. We always want to see real slow ductile failures. So because above all we want to protect life Amen. Um, for the people that use our structures so just the difference in that um investigation that they did where they took months and they were very careful and they preserved everything as they were as they were doing it because uh they wanted to make sure that you know if there had to be a change in the building codes or what what how did the building codes codes fail or how did the designer fail in that in that um that design and that is the opposite of what you see in Surfside where they um not only are they not preserving it but they actually took down the part of the building that didn't fail immediately which you know if it was me (laughs) I would use that standing structure to go if I really believed that this building failed because of like not being code compliant or because of uh, failure to maintain it correctly, you would want to inspect the, the structure that was still standing um, and see, you know, what went wrong here. But now that it's gone, you can't really do that.
0: Yeah. And one of the things I, I'd add is, is that for, for folks that saw the controlled demolition of the standing part of the building, it's, it's virtually impossible to distinguish between how that building fell with the official narrative versus the one that came down and the explanation is some type of sinkhole. And so one of the things that was illuminating that Aaron provided in my interview with her was the idea that you could have a, a pancake effect. So there can be collapses, but for the most part, you're still going to have super large portions of the building uh, remain intact and you've got nothing but dust and debris. Um, and it was also reminiscent because I don't know if, some of your listeners are familiar with, again, the World Trade Center in Building 7 was uh, there was a lot of controversy over the steel being shipped off immediately. And so that was another, you know, bizarre occurrence in the engineering field where people really want to know and examine what went wrong. Let's, let's do our analysis. And so, um, you know, if, if I were going to have Aaron on the stand and this was litigation you know, we talk about certain standards like negligence and certain professional standards. How do you figure out what went right and what went wrong? And normally you would have this information and you wouldn't um, cover rubble and rock with more rubble and rock within weeks. So all of that was pretty alarming.
3: Yeah, I was taking in showing people who are on the video platform. And by the way, I know some people who are listening by way of uh, Red State Talk Radio, you guys are going, I'm not seeing these pictures. We're going to try to get all of that uh, in, in the archive so you can examine them. But I'm showing them Building 7 here because you're talking about that. And to me, the Building 7 looks almost identical to what happened there in down in Surfside. And I could almost say the same thing. It looks a little different when we go over to something like uh, the World Trade Center itself. Now, I, I was able to bring in, at least for the first building here, this looks very, I mean, it's time-lapsed, but it looks very similar to that. The, guy, the This is the building on the right. And, again, taking people back, this thing just goes to nothing. And this, is, uh, this has got all kinds of steel, and yet we're led to believe some jet fuel caused this whole thing to just weaken to the point where it didn't just take out, you know, a couple of the things and a couple of the floors and it pancake or whatever and then, uh, you know, fall to the ground. But rather, this took out everything below it and disintegrated the the top portion. And it didn't just happen to one, it happened to the two. And from what I understand, maybe you can enlighten us a little bit, Erin. Has any building been hit by a plane, uh, you know, some kind of a steel structure been hit by a plane and ever fell like this?
2: I know. In fact, uh, the Empire State Building, I believe, was hit by a plane. It was quite a bit smaller than the planes that hit... uh, the twin towers, but it survived and they repaired it, and it's still standing today. And even the World Trade Center itself—I'm sure you know this—there was an explosion several years before in the basement uh, down there. Instead of those, some of those critical columns, and it—it didn't even feel it. And so that's kind of what I'm talking about as uh, regarding redundancy in buildings that you can lose a column or two, and the building will stand. And so, I guess my diplomatic answer about the two towers, the twin towers, is. Um, Those buildings, uh, as I understand, were designed to withstand the impact of an airplane. Now, I can't say that they were, uh, they considered, you know, the rising temperature of the steel and how it weakens when you have jet fuel burning. And so we could say, well, I don't know, like what would happen because we've never flown a building into a, or I'm sorry, a plane into a building just to see what would happen. But when you compare that to building seven, which failed in exactly the same way, um, that is to me, it's absolutely ridiculous to think that
0: Building 7. Yeah, let me jump in real quick. Um, you know, a lot of folks, the, the psychological implications of, of the causes of building failure, the World Trade Center, you know, it's very controversial. Um, building 7, the reason why we go there is because there wasn't, you don't even have to account for a plane striking the building. You don't have to account for jet fuel. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. <laughs> Excuse
3: me. Okay. Well, th- I agree with you. And so uh, now we go to the prosecutor side. When you're, let's say you're going to ask experts and you're going to talk to them and things of this nature. And obviously, I'm sure you and your wife have had conversations about WTC and, uh, you know, Building 7 and all this. What's your gut tell you when this happens? I, you know, I think there are many people. Who are who are clear that something else went on besides what we're told and um, and seeing what happened let me let me just let me play this little this little clip here it's only about a minute but I'm gonna play it while I, I do this and if you want to chime in David as a prosecutor how do you when you view this what are the questions you begin to ask when you're looking at this preliminary kind of you know what you're told is a collapse that clearly looks like some of the examples that I'm going to give right here these are some of the, this is just a minute of different demolitions that are happening look how straight down it falls all of these buildings that we've talked about have done that now some of them break apart different and I guess that's depending on the company that does the collapse but they basically just fall right in on themselves what what is your look when you see WTC WT7 Um, and the the Surfside collapse. What's your first inclination to ask about what's going on there?
0: Well, one, that it just uh, doesn't take a rocket science or an engineer to, to see that these are all different forms of controlled demolition. And so you have strategically placed charges to bring the building within its footprint. And the reason why you would do that is because you're worried about liability for compromising structures that are nearby. You want to bring down the building itself without... And at the same time, minimizing damage to surrounding structures. And you have the same thing here with the Surfside building collapse. So as a prosecutor, if there's going to be an alternative theory that this looks like controlled demolition, but we're being told it's not, that there's some other explanation. Well, um, the prosecutor or the trial attorney has the right to inquire. And what's the most troubling thing about all of these narratives is that inquiry is being shut down and the press, instead of asking questions, is just promoting a, a one narrative and it's, uh, and it's an anomaly. There's just you, you, other than, you know, building seven, there's just no other uh, examples that are out there that support that conclusion that the uh, Surfside building collapsed due to a sinkhole. Uh, there's just nothing out there. So what you do in building your case is you talk to eyewitnesses. You start talking to the people that live there. We haven't heard from the residents of the Surfside building. Um, And the stuff that we have heard is not consistent with um, what we've been told. And, And so when you look at the NIST report, which was what was put out for WTC, it was very bizarre. It was very controversial. Most architects and engineers that looked at it, weren't convinced. In fact, there were thousands of architects and engineers that signed petitions saying this just does not comport with the laws of physics. And it wasn't until more recently that the University of Alaska, I think it was either in Anchorage or Fairbanks, did a $200,000 plus study on the NIST report and debunked it. And so the latest science is not consistent with what we've seen. So as a prosecutor, I'd want to have the experts from the University of Alaska to talk about this. I'd like to have people with my wife's pedigree, talk about that. But you also want to get fact witnesses that can either affirm or dispel suspicion. And so one of the things that we saw a lot with Building 7 and WTC were firemen, police, uh, people that were on the phones describing their surroundings, seeing explosions, uh, um, sounds that weren't consistent with the, the jet fuel hypothesis. And so you'd want to do something very similar with Surfside. Can we please talk to some tenants to see what they heard and what they saw?
3: Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a wise thing. Now let me let me play this for you. You may have seen this. This is one of the tenants, uh, Barry Cohen. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but this runs about a minute. Listen to what Barry has to say.
1: First we heard a crash of lightning. I thought it was lightning. Fire.
3: And this is mixed in with a controlled demolition.
1: And it went on for 30 seconds i'd say at least fire and it was as loud as you could ever the loudest thing i've ever heard now i know what a, a building collapsing sounds like Now I know what a, a, a building collapsing sounds like.
3: And so we've got that, we're, we're showing what happened here. And I counted about 14 seconds, at least from when this video starts of the Miami collapse till the, the second part of and, that building goes um, down.
1: We went out on our balcony and Surfside police were already there. And we said, what, what should we do? and um they said go back inside we don't know what's going on okay all right so y- this is
3: one guy and he's i've even got another video where he speaks a little longer at a press uh conference have you heard from you haven't heard from any tenants as they spoke uh about what went on here at
0: surfside well we're all the way over here in new mexico okay. so we're not okay. <laughs> familiar with with the residents or the people there um i i've seen um, news articles where we've seen some quotes and you won't find those on your, your normal search engines like Google. But if you go on DuckDuckGo, you can retrieve people's observations that were close by. Um, I don't know what Aaron's seen.
2: Um, well, one of the articles I read, I, I have two quotes that stood out to me. Um, the condo board apparently met in November of 2018 after they got that report I, I mentioned earlier. And the, the president of the board said it appears this building is in very good shape after he read that report. And my my opinion, he's right. And the so in the in the opinion of the board and and by after reading their structural analysis report, I agree that the building was in great shape. So that's I mean that is a quote from a generally these board members actually live in the in the building themselves and own property and and they're kind of doing it on volunteer basis. That's how I understand most of these boards are made up. And then um directly after the the collapse, the Surfside mayor was quoted as saying buildings like this don't fall down in America. And he's absolutely right. So those were the two eyewitness eyewitnesses that that really stood out to me.
0: Yeah. And, and Tim, you, you live in South Carolina, correct? That's correct. Yeah. So I, I'm a beach boy. I grew up in Myrtle Beach. And so one of the things that we would do as young men and women is we'd go to the hotels. Uh, when you can not afford your own swimming pool, you you'd get in someone else's lazy river, walk around. Yep. But I would ask anyone that's vacationed in a beach resort area when you go through a parking garage, for instance, and you look around, and you can see just how massive the columns are, how massive the structures are. Um, these are like castles, and um, I've actually lived through hurricanes like Hurricane Hugo back in the '80s, where yep. wind can wreak havoc, and you can you can see these buildings under stress. And, and while they can be chipped away, while you can have aesthetic damage, the structures themselves, you just don't see this happen. And, and so I, I, I'm not—I'm just not quite sure on why the the narrative from the mainstream media is to push this as something that it's clearly not. They're not even talking about controlled demolition as being an option, and it's the most obvious um, option out of out of all of them.
3: Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I am in South Carolina. I've been on the Myrtle beach. I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, we used to go down there virtually every weekend. Um, when I was a young 20 something year old and a friend of mine's dad had a house down there, we went and stayed. So I've seen all that. I've been, I've worked in, um, all over North Carolina. And I remember going up in the, what was then the first union building in Charlotte, North Carolina I was almost, all, almost on the top floor And it was almost frightening to go up because there were times it was a windy day. There's a times you can almost feel the wind move the building a little bit. But I've also been there and I've seen where they've demolished a building and they're going to put the foundations in. And I don't know how far they dig down. They're digging down several stories. I'm wanting to say maybe eight stories or better that they're going to start putting the foundation of one of those skyscrapers in. And, of course, they have to build it to certain specs and things of this nature. But one of the things, Aaron, that, that you mentioned, I think, in you guys' discussion, was this has probably the the strictest um, regulations for a building because it's built there in Florida and it has to withstand hurricane uh, strength winds that come along. And so that's a pretty big deal for something to just to be built like that and then just to fall in, you know, one side or one part of the building and then the other part right behind it. That that definitely would raise flags, I would think, for most people who are seeing it.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. Our the buildings on the coast are by far the strongest buildings we have in our country, and uh, and above that, um, Florida requires every building to every building with public access to be uh, recertified every forty years. And so that was kind of one of the reasons they did that report was because they were coming up on that thirty years and they needed their recertification. So if it was doing that well after you know, being around for 40 years, this building was not at all in danger of collapse. And and the ones on the coast on a clear day would be the last ones you would be looking for to fall over.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Now here's, here's the, here's the real question that comes after that. Now you said, and I'm not sure I haven't been able to follow it, but have they already uh, demolished the other part of the building? Is that what you said?
2: they did within 2 okay. weeks of the first collapse the 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 part that was still standing was gone i don't even know how they got everybody moved out or or agreed to leave or had a contractor on board to to take it down it it just defies everything i know about contracting and dealing with buildings and boards and tenants
3: well now do you know where they took the the stuff that they cleared off
2: i think they're still clearing it off but they just sort of added that second pile on top of the pile that was there they hadn't even found all the bodies yet and that's another pretty strange thing in, the, in all the other uh, structure collapses i'm familiar with above all you want to find you know the bodies to give them to their families and right and they just sort of dispelled this dispensed with that step
3: well wow. well now see this goes back to things too from wtc and i i'm, I'm sure mm-hmm. you're familiar with this david where you know we had Robert Mueller over the FBI, and they come in. This is the probably the biggest crime scene in American history, and and they don't do like what they normally do with stuff. You know, they go and try to piece everything. They just you know, stick it on the ship and send it to China. All the evidence is gone. You know, we we've got this uh, government approved. Um, story that comes out in the in the, in the uh, 9-11 commission report. We've got this story that we're supposed to believe. And while there may be some truth in, in a lot of it, I, I just, I'm like you. When I see this, I'm going, something else is going on. So the question is, if there is a controlled demolition, and I think our eyes are not deceiving us as to what that is, I could show, I've got I pulled up a whole bunch of videos of buildings being demolished, and I'll put some of these in the archive that I haven't shown. The obvious question is, why was the building demolished? Why was was there a controlled demolition? And then to come behind that and to cover up by taking the rest of it out and getting rid of it and not treating it as a crime scene, but treating it as something else to divert the people's attention from what's going on there.
0: Well, I, I... I'll refrain from speaking about things that I don't have personal knowledge about, but uh, the the, the problem here is that certain practices that are bedrock in in the profession of engineering for whatever reason to, to fit a particular narrative were dispensed with. That's highly unusual. And for the people that don't have the psychological wherewithal to deal with the unpleasant possibility that the official narrative isn't true. The reason why uh, Aaron and I have um, stepped out and we've waded into those waters that it would be easier for us to not talk about them is that you have real life victims. All right. So when you have loved ones that were lost, whether it was WTC building seven and they place a phone call to a family member and the last thing that someone hears is you know, the cries of agony for people trying to escape a structure, and we can't give them answers. The reason why WTC and Building 7 still talked about today is because it doesn't add up, and it doesn't add up 20 years later. It's actually, um, if anything, it's it's shakier than it's ever been based on the University of Alaska's report. So um, we have to look at motives. Now, there are a lot of interesting things that were, were put out there with the World Trade Center on the storage of uh, classified information. There was um, an audit that was being conducted through waste with uh, wasteful Pentagon spending. Some of that information was housed in Building 7. Um, you had an insurance policy that was adjusted within the calendar year that happened to account for terrorist events that was written in. And then there were whistleblowers that I can't um, tell you whether they're credible or not, but they've gone out on record saying that there were um, opportunities for floors to be blocked off, which would allow someone the opportunity to control or place control charges. Um, this stuff you can find, you can go down the different rabbit holes and it's there. Um, what's troubling to me isn't whether you believe me or believe that the victims of uh, these, well, we'll call them controlled demolitions. It's that inquiry has been shut down and people are attacked um, and they're not, they're not able to follow the normal scientific processes. Surfside is still too new for me to really have a good sense. There has been a discussion about whether or not uh, there was someone by the name of um, Pat McAfee, which isn't the same thing as um, John McAfee, but there is a suggestion that he might be a family member. I don't know if that's been proven or disproven. There's so much misinformation floating out there, Um, but that would be a low hanging fruit uh, example of McAfee claimed that he had a dead man switch. He claimed that he had damning information of many government officials. And um, the moment that he was, uh, if he was to be found dead, killed, suicided, that he was going to release that information. So that's one plausible theory that's out there, but, unfortunately, since the interview that I had with Joshua Merritt, I haven't gotten any um, more information to, to confirm or dispel that. Um, there's also an issue with the proximity of that building to others, but I'd be guessing.
3: Yeah, and I, I, I understand that. We all, we you know, this this conspiracy theorist kind of term has been coined basically by the CIA to shut people up about the JFK assassination. And I understand that it works really good at making people look like you got a foil hat on when you really are just doing what police do. Police start with a working theory. And if there's more than one, if they come across evidence that suggests that more than one person is involved in a crime, it's obviously a conspiracy because there's two people working together and then they're putting, putting forth a theory about how they, think, how they think things went down. Now, this goes back to, to you know, we go back to Scripture. Scriptures are one of our, fa- it's, it is our foundation here. And we read in Jeremiah eleven nine 9, it says, And the Lord said to me, A conspiracy has been found among the men of Judah and among the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And later over in Psalm 83, verse 3, it says, They make shrewd plans against your people and conspire together against your treasured ones and i think one thing that's that's been left off david is you know from our founders even back before the founders uh when we were when people were establishing the various states the colonies at the time and things one thing that they understood was they understood the depravity of man and so they were they were looking to squelch that as much as they could in the public sphere and so like our constitution it's not written to you know restrain you or me or your wife or anybody else. It's meant to restrain those who are in government because we know when they're in those positions of power that they can be bribed, they can uh, fall to temptation, all of these kinds of things. And so that kind of comes into play here. And so when we see these buildings coming down like this, and we see the mockingbird media, you know, parroting whatever, you know, story they've been given to put out there, uh, and we, we see the the lack of Allowing people to honestly question the narrative that they're being given, and they're even demonized over it. Uh, You can't talk about that. We'll censor you. Um, We're having that now with the whole Convid 1984 stuff. But for people to do that, to me, not only does it seem un-American, it raises the suspicion even more that people in authority want to shut you up from questioning what you're, what you've beheld with your eyes or you know in your case as a prosecutor the things that you've dealt with or Aaron in your case uh the stuff that you've learned as a structural engineer and i think that's that's the real travesty here because we can never get to the yeah. truth if we can't ask the questions
0: i think you're you're spot on and this is so folks know that we have criminal conspiracy on the books i've proved cases beyond a reasonable doubt where there was in fact criminal conspiracy it's just two or more people that have a a shared purpose that happens to be illegal. And that happens everywhere. Um, and so you're right. There is this thing called primacy at work where you accuse people of something. And then while they're defending themselves and, and telling the truth, their, 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 their work has been doubled because first they have to convince everyone that they're not crazy because someone simply called them crazy. And it's a very effective weapon that the enemy uses. Um, so for me, it's a question of advocacy. How do you effectively red pill the masses while you know that you've got parties the mainstream media that aren't working in good faith to get to the truth and so um you know if you were to ask me straight out do i think that the surfside building collapse was controlled demolition i tell you yes um but before i can talk about the motives or the reasons why it came down and, and you know basically the who it, um that's not strong that's not a strong framework that I can stand on and defend because I just don't know what I can tell you is that from a building block standpoint what Aaron's done and what I do because of the other thing that I, I focus a lot of time on is election integrity stuff is I, I I try to shy away not because there's a lack of courage but if if we're going to deal with the evidence the evidence is indisputable and so when I when we have people that observe the laws being broken, massive cheating in our elections. And you could tell them about the rule of law and what would normally take place to make sure that someone would have an evidentiary hearing, you're not going to find a professor in the country that's going to want to debate with me because they know from a building block standpoint, they're not going to win that argument. And I'm I'm going to, I'm willing to venture to guess that any engineer worth their salt will also not be able to compete and argue about Ductile failure and and how buildings are supposed to collapse, they're not going to want to put themselves out there. And and so um, what's another question worth asking is where are all the engineers out there that are willing to put their name on the media's narrative of the building collapse? If you'll notice, there's not a whole lot of folks out there. It's usually the same people. In fact, I think it's the same organization that investigated WTC, is now responsible for monitoring the surfside collapse. So You've got one special group that seems to be comprised of full-time liars that are going to give you the same narrative that was established 20 years ago. Any other engineer is not going to risk their license to to pedal that garbage.
3: That's i I tell you, that I think that's the thing. And you know, here at the Sons of Liberty, the one thing that we say that is continually missing in our country that, that keeps our liberties. There is there is something on the Supreme Court that says justice guards our liberty. And the one thing we're missing and have been missing for a long time in America, is real justice. It it seems, you know, when I was growing up, you would watch the Saturday morning cartoons or whatever, and they would always have the thing, you know, where the guy at the end, the bad guy's caught, and, uh, you know, the Scooby-Doo kind of thing. I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for you meddling kids. But the guy always comes in and he always says, crime doesn't pay. And now we're seeing, boy, crime is paying a lot to a lot of people. It's not that it goes out from under the eyes of God, but... We're having problem bringing justice um, in, in this country, and I do think justice needs to be brought in the WTC and uh, all three buildings. I, I believe that they were controlled demolition. If they were, then there's obviously a crime that's been committed. The question is, what was it for? And I think it was probably to take us to war in the countries because we know Saudi Arabia was the one who sent a lot of the guys, or they say they sent a lot of the guys over here, but we don't touch Saudi Arabia. But we go into all these other countries and do that. And uh, so I'm eager to see what will come out. I I hope that maybe you'll be bringing some stuff as you find it uh, on some of your your podcasts and some of your uh, video shows that you put out as well. And I want to thank both of you for coming on the show today. And matter of fact, I probably owe you a steak dinner because you guys had to get some some help there and everything to, to come on. But I really appreciate that. And, uh, David, I'm going to give you – there's about a minute left in the show. Tell people about where they can find out more about you and what you do at The Professor's Record.
0: You can find me at com, or you can find me on Telegram at The Professor's Record. Um, discuss all kinds of things Mostly the election stuff, because right now we have to make sure that our machines are secured. If you don't have secure elections, you don't have the rule of law. And if you don't have the rule of law, good luck with achieving policy changes that can uh, benefit the American people. So I start there. Uh, also spend time on critical race theory and the destruction of our youth and their minds. Uh, That's been the domestic tool that's been used to divide Americans. And then the last thing that we uh, I've been spending a lot of time on is the pandemic, uh, okay. where COVID has basically created an emergency environment. And when you have an emergency environment, safeguards, the rule of law seems to fall to the wayside. Yep. Security over liberty. And so uh, I'm trying to educate folks on all three uh, legs of the stool, the stool, so to speak. Okay. And David, we, g- we got to cut it we, off.
3: We got to cut it off here. Guys, check us out at 6 a.m. tomorrow. See ya.